And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners, as well as the extra special podcast listeners. Stefan. Yes. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, that <laughs> such a quick <laughs> twist. Uh, uh, I'm keeping you on your toes. Exactly. Uh, yes, Stefan Hostetter and uh, Dave Hostetter in the studio. Sarah Kaster on teching, and we'll be jumping in. Welcome to the show. We'll have Lauren Latour joining us in the middle section, I believe. We'll be talking about three uh, of the climate plans posted by the uh, that, that have been sort of begun to be talked about um, in the United States. They're sort of a. a, a it's a odd three, I would say. You know, we would say we didn't really include a couple others, but there's they're all sort of different little jumping off points for us to have a larger conversation. And the you know the, the states is down to only ten uh, ten people running now. They've managed to go from twenty one down to ten in the next debate, and so we're going to get uh, more more. We'll be continuing to increasingly cover that as we get closer to the actual election. But we're starting uh, today with the news of the the past uh, past week or two. Uh, about of, of, of the fires in Brazil. But before we get there, I want to briefly uh, clarify, or actually we'll update you, actually, about a two weeks ago, right at the end of the show, we did a call out for people to support uh, the Green Pack 100 debates uh, because they had chosen a date that was going to be overlapped by, uh, by, by the leaders' debate. And I think like 20 minutes after uh, we, we, that show was, was completed, it, they announced that they are moving the date to October 3rd. So fear not. Uh, That's the power of our listeners right there. Stephen. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. Don't miss the opportunity to take credit for that. <laughs> um, so, so October third is now the debates um, and uh, across Canada on 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 green hundred climate debates. Hundred climate debates. Uh, green Pack uh, is the one organizing those. So check out their website for more information about that. October third. October third. It's a Thursday. Uh, no longer on your birthday, unfortunately, Dave. No. Um, but uh, but we will get to that. And the day after, we are we are currently working on a special show to cover all of the major parties' uh, climate platforms. And so we'll be talking about that the day later, And because uh, we're getting up to the Canadian election. But to start off, uh, Brazil is, uh, is in the news because it is on fire. And it is a sort of series of... Uh, I think Brazil. We're going to get a couple different angles on this. Uh, disinformation is, a, is is one of the big themes, as well as how uh, their current uh, very right wing leader, who uh, in, basically came rose to power through the radicalization of YouTube. Uh, yeah, uh, we will will be having that conversation. But Sarah, why don't you jump in, Sarah? Uh, sorry, yeah, no, I just wanted, because we're heading into something where I have quite a bit of background knowledge. I'm not going to share it, but I would just like, before we get into it, to add a disclaimer to this section, which is that the political situation in Brazil right now is extremely complex, yeah. With really, without really spending quite a bit of time studying, not just reading a couple articles, but really studying it, really looking into it. You're not going to be able to have a clean opinion saying this group or this person is good or bad. Um, it's a it's a very complicated political situation, and I'm not doing that to try and buy anybody space. I'm saying like, you know, don't 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 try and reduce this situation. It's not as simple as the U.S., where you know, uh, Trump is bad and Warren's probably pretty good. It's it's much more complicated. So I just wanted to add that disclaimer because if you have a strong like, oh, this guy's good or bad, or that side's good or bad, it you need to read more um, about that topic. It's very fluid, very complicated. 
It, it is. I, w- I would agree, except for the fact that Bolsonaro is definitely bad. Uh, oh, no, he's definitely <laughs> bad. But like the, the there's a there's a very complicated web of history around oh, who's supporting him and where's get like support and this and that and and backers in the U.S. It's a massive tangled web. The reason I'm saying that is because I actually listened to a two hour podcast that's incredibly boring if you're not really interested in politics um, with a bunch of history professors being interviewed about this topic. It's a snake's maze. And just just maintain the understanding that you shouldn't have a simple opinion about that political situation. Yes, there's, there's certainly a, a series of, of, of complicating factors. Um, but, but but yeah, so we're covering this sort of an angle of A, sort of how difficult it is to actually cover uh, these types of things in scenarios where it, uh, increasingly more and more disinformation is coming out in different fashions. Uh, and also uh, the fact that this is yet another example of the interconnected ways that the, that w- society can push these things on things. But let's, let's jump in uh, on, on the fires themselves. So while there are, are a lot of fires happening in Brazil right now, and this year has seen a massive surge in fires compared with last year, several publications, including Agence France Presse and The Guardian, are highlighting the misinformation being spread about the fires on social media. Numerous photos, sometimes as much as 30 years old, or not even depicting the Amazon at all, were shared online and spread widely. The celebrities like Jaden Smith and Novak Djokovic tried to communicate heartfelt sentiments about the state of the global environment, and even French President Emmanuel Macron posted a picture of a burning Amazon uh, that was at least 16 years old, uh, and falsely claimed that the Amazon produces 20% of global oxygen, when in fact it probably produces only around 6%. Another image widely posted was of a scorched rabbit, who was actually a victim of last year's wildfires in California. Most of the fires have indeed been in the Amazon, and there are clearly a lot of them, but it hasn't been possible to measure the size of the fires, which have mostly been caused by deforestation. A researcher at the Amazon Environmental Research Institute, Paolo Moutinho, told Agence France Presse that he estimated that 20% of the whole Amazon basin has been deforested, and there are researchers who argue that there is a tipping point in the Amazon after which we will not be able to stop its complete desertification. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things here. The desertification and the, the fact that you've heard uh, yet another word, the word tipping point, I feel like, is something that whenever you hear the idea that there's one tipping point, get ready for the fact that we don't know which one of these will tip first. Uh, we, we truly do not know which which thing might be the first thing, you know, we, we exist in a world where there's about five or six or seven or 10 or 15 different things that scientists are warning us are, pot- are that are potential tipping points of, of irreversible uh, irreversibility uh, due to an action. And so this is just another one. But uh, the thing here I want to get into just for half a second is that with when we say deforestation, what's actually what's happening is not deforestation in the way that we sort of experience a lot here uh, in Canada um, or, or in some other places where the deforestation is caused by logging companies. So we're getting trying to get wood or anything like that. Uh, the deforestation there uh, is is fundamentally for um, for development of beef uh, cattle ranching. Basically, a lot of the fires uh, are are being set by by farmers uh, who are trying to expand their reach into into the into the Amazon as a way to sort of actually have their their cattle have more land to graze, and so that that fact means that not only is it is it are these fire are these fires being set criminally. 
um, uh, often and intentionally. Uh, they are, they're also sort of directly responsive to the global requir- request for more beef consumption. You know, as beef consumption I- increases, uh, this is one of the ways it impacts is that it, it decimates uh, the Amazon. Um, and and, the, and Bolsonaro, just to, to, get, to sort of give a, a uh, I'm going to get back to him later on about sort of in a, how sort of in disinformation and Bolsonaro come, connect into this. But, but Bolsonaro, in this particular context, and to realize that while this is, a sort of these are, these fires are being set criminally. It's very similar, or it's it's similar esque into the situation you see in the states right now with with Trump sort of leading, sort of Trump saying a bunch of things that imply he's okay with something, and then people going out acting criminally that in the way that they've implied would be okay, uh, and then being surprised that these are happening. You know, this is that's that's basically what's happening here. You know, during the camp, during the actual campaign, Bolsonaro promised to push indigenous people out of their lands to quote unquote develop uh, Brazil. Um, and and what do we see now? Uh, shortly after his, his his election, is fires raging in the Amazon, set quote unquote criminally, uh, that are pushing out indigenous people uh, to allow for development of of uh, quote unquote development of of this space. Right. This is this is one of those things in which while it is. Uh, while the, the you exp, you can sort of see the Brazilian government coming out and sort of claiming that it is unintentional uh, or not caused by their by their positions, uh, they they have basically said the thing that is that is currently happening and 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 even after the G20 provided the paltry sum of twenty million dollars to fight these fires, that was then rejected by by the Brazilian president uh, Jair Bolsonaro. Um, because he claims that the Amazon belongs to Brazil and his country's sovereignty is under threat by people trying to help him stop these fires, so it's it's one of those. It is definitely one of those things in which this is criminally set, and theoretically the Brazilian government could go and prosecute these people. I'm just certainly not holding my breath. Uh, but we got sort of more information uh, on Amazon, so let's jump into that. So these notes come from our lovely volunteer Chris More. So shoutouts to that. That lovely man. So as these fires rage in the Amazon rainforest, environmental groups and heads of state alike are condemning the new Bolsonaro government in Brazil for not doing enough to protect one of the planet's most vital ecosystems. The Amazon is believed to host about 10% of the world's biodiversity and is home to 400 different indigenous tribes. It is the ancestral home of over a million individuals, and there are still hundreds of thousands of indigenous people currently living in the Amazon. Its protection should therefore be an international priority, and we've known all this since at least the 1980s. While deforestation in the Amazon started to creep back up since 2012, after a slow decline in 2004, there has been a sudden jump. An 83% increase in fires and a 67-88% to increase in deforestation from last year, when the new government took power on a platform of opening up the region to agribusiness, logging, and mining operations for the purposes of export-driven economic growth. Since the 1980s, Brazil has, in fits and spurts, taken strong action to curb deforestation. With international funding and pressure, the international regulation of illegal industry and the expansion of indigenous rights, total deforestation has actually declined from 2004, or it did decline from 2004 to 2012. Mass social movements within Brazil led to the seeding of up to 30% of the rainforest to indigenous control 
and further areas were designated state parks and protected bioreserves. Brazil's new president, Jair Bolsonaro, has blamed Brazil's current economic woes on international meddling to preserve the Amazon and promised to open up the rainforest to all manner of private industry. Once referring to himself as Captain Chainsaw, Jair Bolsonaro's uh, obvious contempt for international environmental and, and indigenous rights law and Brazil's own constitution has led many to blame him directly for the sudden acceleration in the rainforest's destruction. Deforestation has, however, been increasing for the past five years, partly due to the agricultural lobby. For Bolsonaro's part, he has limited the power of Brazil's environmental agency. He has fired the director of the National Space Institute, the organization that reported the increase in illegal fire activity. He has refused to speak with social and environmental movements uh, within the country, and he has provided moral legitimacy for illegal activity by identifying and sympathizing with the perpetrators. In response to widespread international condemnation, Bolsonaro may actually outdo Trump in his lust for infamy and his indifference to logical coherence. He originally blamed NGOs for starting fires in some kind of false flag operation, but more recently admitted that some of the fires are started illegally by farmers. He complained that Brazil doesn't have the resources to fight so many fires, yet blamed international organizations uh, offering to help as interfering with their sovereignty. When discussing the rainforest, he mused that it was, quote, like a virgin that every pervert from the outside wants. The current media focus on the cartoonishly on the cartoonish figure of Bolsonaro, however, belies a whole cast of shady characters behind the push to undo years of prog progress in environmental and indigenous rights law that predates Bolsonaro and stretches beyond the borders of Brazil. The Blackstone Group is heavily invested in Brazilian agribusiness and owns a large share in, com in the company operating the main shipping terminal, out of which the products of the Amazon flow. U.S. lobbying group Intramerica is working closely with the, with the governor of Amazonas province, in which is located the epicenter of the current forest fire crisis. Giuliani Safety and Security, Rudy Giuliani's private security company, is also active in the region, after signing a $1.6 million contract with the province's previous governor. The program director for Amazon Watch, Christian Poirier, believes that Europeans, who are the second largest consumers of Brazilian exports at 19%, are the, be are the best placed and most likely to boycott Brazilian exports in response to Bolsonaro's policies. But U.S. economic and political involvement in Brazil uh, play an important role as well. While on the campaign trail, for instance, Bolsonaro visited the U.S., soliciting investment from U.S. business leaders by promising unfettered access to Brazil's virgin forest. As it stands now, Brazil relies heavily on these perverts, and so it is likely that the current U.S. administration and its allies in the private sector, despite their influence, will do little to discourage the continuing exploitation of such an invaluable patch of earth. Yeah, so I think there's often, when, when, when different situations like this uh, happen around the world, when uh, those of us you know, not in those countries um, 
struggle to understand how we can respond and, and work towards these types of things. You know, uh, this is a similar similar scenario to uh, to the palm oil situation that that uh, that went. I think it was last year in which, when due to sort of the, the the planting of palm oil, there was those fires that were releasing just absolute mass amounts of CO two in the atmosphere. Um, but but that the but that the that the the nation was was sort of reliant on that economic, and, and were not interested in solving it. In the same way, honestly, that that Canada here refuses to stop dealing with the oil sands. You know, it's, each country seems to have one thing that is uh, that is still sort of strapping them down to this uh, to the, the the economy of destruction. But uh, th- something that I want to highlight here, because I think it's important, and because I think too often do we sort of move beyond the beyond this, or too often do we sort of see the infrastructure of the world as as as, as invisible, is that there's a very good uh, research uh, and article put out by the New York Times recently, sort of looking at how YouTube played a role in in the radicalization of Brazil and of the rise of Bolsonaro and the and his government and his right wing government. Um, you know, so much so that uh, Mercutio Martins, uh, the local voice of president of Mr. Bolsonaro's party uh, and in Nitoroti, uh, credited quote unquote most of the party's recruitment to YouTube, including his own. Uh, Bolsonaro himself has, has has was a YouTube star uh, well before was it was interesting actually he was at, for a while just on YouTube and that no one was really paying attention and then slowly but surely uh, as YouTube sort of changed its algorithm to try to maximize clicks uh, that actually pushed people towards um, towards these types of parties uh, for you know there's a their team sort of analyzed transcripts from thousands of videos and and then the comments as well and and basically found that at one moment, a few months after YouTube changed its algorithm, positive mentions of Bolsonaro ballooned, uh, as did his mentions of conspiracy theories uh, that he had floated. And so, and so basically, um, they, they, they still showed that polls still showed him as deeply unpopular, but the platform sort of was still showing the fact that it was still getting his message out there. And, and this can be tied pretty directly to the, to the way that you, we've seen that YouTube and some of the other research that have been, has been done around the way YouTube has been allowing to radicalize uh, you know, the, 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 the white supremacist terrorists in the United States um, and around the world. This is a similar type of the algorithm itself is theoretically um, you know, ambivalent to political views. And that's YouTube's defense all the time is that we just make the algorithm. We're not the ones actually causing this kind of problem. But when you look at the look at the way the algorithm is working, it is very clearly taking people from sort of abstract views uh, or or generic sort of understanding views and pushing them towards these types of things because it increases listening time, increases the amount of time people are actually paying attention to these videos. You know, one of the examples here is that there is a a guitar teacher who uh, who was a guitar teacher and then also happened to have con- was a conspiracy theorist as well, and so he would do both of these sort of things at the same time, and he would then be sort of a a gateway into these sort of more directly right-wing figures. And so this is all coming from, um, you know, you, you want, you're a, you're a six, the example they use is a 16-year-old kid who just wants to learn how to play guitar. And he wants, and so he's learning how to play guitar, and then suddenly the guy, his guitar teacher is telling him conspiracy videos. And then that becomes more right-wing conspiracy videos. And suddenly he's a 17-year-old who wants to become a, 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 a to be a part of this party that is pushing these, these types of agendas entirely because he just wanted to learn how to play guitar. And then YouTube sits back and says, we, we didn't know, or we, we, not, we aren't controlling this, uh, or this is apolitical. 
and and yet it's clearly it's clearly an example of the disinformation that is that is coming in, um, and so all of this is is to say that it's not it's not enough to think of just about the the sort of direct ways you could do it. Like reducing beef consumption is a is a definite value in many ways, um, unquestionably. And, and 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 working to try to use the market forces that we have to to, to sort of push uh, the the Bolsonaro government to, to protect the Amazon important, but I think we cannot not we cannot get let the Googles and the Facebooks and the Twitters of the world off the hook for the amount of work they're putting in to radicalize the world. Um, and in the fact that, you know, in the, the beginning that, that you mentioned, Dave, where you talked about sort of the fact that people are even trying to share the help to save the rainforest are still sharing misinformation uh, and spreading misinformation on Twitter and things like that mm-hmm. sort of prove the difficulty of all of this and the requ- necess- necessity to take all of these things quite seriously. And and yet what we see more and more happening is that these that these technological companies are are standing around saying this is not us it's not our fault. Um, and, but then also going out of their way to allow the political parties that are putting forward truly, truly dangerous and heinous things. Um, as, 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 well, we have to let, we can't censor the right wing. You know, in the quote-unquote right wing, as they gain political power, sort of use that as a, as a, as a bludgeon as a way to be like, you have to let us keep saying these things, or else you're censoring our, our political speech. And then, you know, then you have the election Canada here saying that you can't say climate change is real because that's political speech. And luckily that they, they walk back from that. But I would absolutely love to take that to court, by the way. Well, Anyone wants to take that to court, <laughs> call me. They did. They did walk it back. <laughs> I think. But, you know, it's it's this. It, but it, it, it's all connected. Right. It's connected to the, from the fact that there's these sets of positions that uh, are truly heinous and often factually incorrect. But that become the idea of being uh, of being as they gain political power. Th- there's then this sort of push and pull. But you have to hold these companies accountable and you cannot let Google maintain its sort of existence as this sort of okay and totally ambivalent and we don't do evil kind of tech company while it while YouTube it's one of its major revenue sources is actively making a billion dollars a month uh, radicalizing people towards towards conspiracy videos um, and so there there needs to be some version of a reckoning on this um, because or else we're gonna slowly lose the ability to know what's true and what's not that guitar teacher guy isn't in Toronto is he I, I don't know. I had a friend who had a guitar teacher who was trying to radicalize her. <laughs> I think I think that maybe that's a, a thing that guitar teachers do. Mm. <laughs> maybe the way to stop this uh, this whole thing is just to uh, is to de-radicalize guitar teachers. That's <laughs> the first step. Um, but we're going to come back uh, with uh, with Lauren Latour. We're going to talk about three of the climate plans. Uh, I believe it's, uh, I believe it's Ms. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Andrew Yang are the three we're talking about today. <laughs> um, mainly because Andrew Yang has some really weird opinions uh, about geoengineering. So we'll get to that probably in the last section, uh, Warren and Sanders in the middle section, uh, but we'll go to the music break. Take it away, Saren. All right. We'll have to. I can actually tell you how to what's precisely in detail what exactly at a fine level was wrong with YouTube and how to fix it, but we don't have time today. All right. I'm actually serious, uh, but we actually don't have time today, but I would love to talk about that another another time. The Green Majority is entirely listener-supported. 
our goal to reach minimum solvency is to raise $300 a month. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com for as little as $1. We are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm going to be quiet now because we need to make room for Lauren. Lauren, are you there? I am, and I'm taking up so much space. Woohoo! No, it's actually room on my attention span because I can't moderate you guys at the same time. So carry on. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, so we're talking uh, about the three of the climate plans, um, at least, and then we'll probably get to more as as the numbers drop off. The I feel like, if I had to guess, Sanders and Warren will probably continue to talk about as they get closer. Andrew Yang, I'm going to say, makes it to November before he before his candidacy sort of drops drops away. But mm. who knows? Maybe um, I've been wrong many times before but let's uh let's start off so uh staff writer for vox uh umer irfan writes that elizabeth warren's main culprit for climate inaction is corruption and spells out some of her main ideas about fighting climate change he states that her plan is not comprehensive but offers rather a few policy proposals here and there based around reducing the political power of big oil she has uh, so far proposed banning fossil fuel drilling on all public lands, reinstating an Obama rule restricting methane emissions at drill sites, generating renewable electricity equal to 10% of American usage on public lands, and using that money to fund green initiatives, achieving net zero emissions for all U.S. military non-combat bases and infrastructure by 2030, having the military prioritize climate threats, holding military contractors to climate targets. As Irfan writes, quote, doing more clean energy research, infrastructure upgrades, and an, and an audit of climate vulnerability for all military bases. Using climate change to improve the U.S. economy through collective patriotic efforts and a $1.5 trillion investment in U.S.-made low-carbon tech facilitating the sale of this U.S. clean tech to other countries, Uh, investing $400 billion in energy R&D over 10 years, aiming to bring down global emissions as well as U.S. emissions, making companies disclose the risks that climate change poses to them, and imposing a fee on goods imported from countries with bad environmental policies. She intends to pay for all this by taxing wealthy people and corporations, ending federal oil and gas subsidies, and ending tax loopholes. Yeah, so I obviously have some thoughts, but uh, to you first, Lauren. Um, Yeah, uh, Warren's plan, um, although maybe not quite as sort of awe-inspiring as some of the other candidates' plans and and plans we'll get to today, is, is, in my mind, really quite solid um, and offers forth the kind of plan that I think if the average voter actually like paid attention to platforms and policy would would really really appeal to a lot of people for a lot of reasons um i actually think her sort of her strategy of not releasing one big climate plan but breaking it up into several pieces although maybe i don't know i think maybe isn't actually strategically the best decision is kind of cool because it illustrates to voters that warren's understanding of climate isn't just as an issue of energy use and reducing that and transforming the energy economy, but like really is taking on every facet of 
sort of societal structure, which I think is really cool. And her focusing, like, first and foremost on land use and then moving on to military and, and so on and so forth is, is, is kind of a, a neat way of doing things. And, and again, I don't actually know if it will serve her that well strategically in the long run because then we see, and I know we're talking about this later, but we see, like, Bernie's Green New Deal plan coming out and just kind of blowing everybody over and really sort of dominating the stage. So so I, I don't quite know how well her strategy is going to serve her in the long run, but I do think it's an interesting way of approaching these issues and, and showing us what, what her ideas are. Yeah, and I, I also expect more to come too, right? It's one of those things that probably as as things go on every time, it seems that her strategy has been over the past, you know, her candidacy has been every couple of weeks, she's like, oh, this entire other new plan that I have to do things. Um, but and I, and I do totally agree that I think breaking it up and, and showing that it is actually uh, that this is a consideration for all these different issues and also that it's not necessarily um, exclusively for climate specific things right like I, th- mm-hmm. I think the idea that you know the fact that there's like perhaps one of the best ways that this would actually reduce emissions is the wealth tax itself you know like how much how much money are you t- if you p- the the suggestion of course is a is i believe a 2% uh cost or 3% uh cost on on people making over i believe 50 mil 50 million dollars if you have assets over 50 million dollars she wants to give a 2% levy on those and higher rates on people who have billions of dollars and even just pulling that money out of billionaires hands who will likely spend it on another flight or a or something else that is you know that is almost certainly bad and giving it to solutions alone is is probably a huge transfer of 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 wealth in towards towards a, a much a much better and more useful experience you know i i it strikes me as one of these things that this is that it is a a holistic response and i think that's what about warren is is to me most appealing is that She's not trying to nip at the edges in the way that 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 the democratic democratic establishment seems to want to do. You know the the fact that the fact that 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 the best we could get with with Obama for eight years was a was a plan run through the EPA. Now, of course, that was had to do a little bit because he chose healthcare over 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 climate as a way to fight for it. But even his actual climate plan was still just a price on carbon and not sort of this holistic response to a real to the problem as it stands. And and so I, I do think there's that that element that you sort of re- referenced there of of how much more interesting it is that it's a sort of that it comes in these pieces and and that she's thinking of things that you would normally not think of you know the the american military is this weird combination of a group that actually consistently will highlight the the fact that climate change is the largest global threat to national to, to, to the america's national security and they keep releasing this report every year saying that or every couple of years saying that while also being one of the largest emitters total because of how big they are and, mm-hmm. and because of their international sort of that. and so like the fact that you're sort of including these other things, it might seem like it's sort of smaller fish, but the fact that it sort of expands all the way to a military conversation, I think, is important because it sort of shows how wide ranging this issue is and how necessary. No, exactly. Yeah, I would totally agree. And the, and then sort of another one of those things that at first glance looks like it's kind of small and inconsequential, inconsequential, but would actually have kind of a, a wide ripple effect is is her ideas around climate risk disclosure and that act that she's proposing, whereby companies would have to reveal the risk they face in terms of losses in the face of climate change. And and again, that's something that kind of seems it it. it it's maybe not not the sexiest policy she's putting forward, but would would go so far when it comes to shaping how how we how we invest our money um, in terms of in terms of stocks and 
and that wider market, and I think would actually have have some really amazing effects. And and I'm I'm kind of preferential to it because it kind of harkens back to to divestment conversations that that people have been having for so long. Yeah, and so consistently that that angle uh, is has been has been highlighted as a necessity to actually get the climate to move on things. Is that is is making making companies explain what they're doing, and they have to pay attention to it. It's, mm-hmm. it's important. But uh, let's let's move on to the the little more flashy sixteen point three trillion dollars uh, that Sanders wants to wants to spend. So the Sanders plan uh, will spend sixteen point three trillion dollars over ten years, and reach one hundred percent renewable electricity and transportation by twenty thirty. Create twenty million jobs. Provide full support for five years to any displaced worker. That's healthcare. That's everything. Uh, declare a national emergency. Retrofit buildings and rebuild infrastructure. Support sustainable family farms. Provide $40 billion for resiliency for communities most affected by climate change. Put $20 billion toward global emissions efforts. I mean, $200 billion towards global emissions efforts. Reaffirm a U.S. climate leadership. Reduce U.S. emissions by at least 71% by 2030, and emissions from less industrialized countries by 36% by 2030. Massively invest in energy R&D, and support the climate justice movement, and invest in conservation. He believes that the plan will pay for itself in 15 years by, quote, making the fossil fuel industry pay for their pollution through litigation, fees, and taxes, and eliminating, and eliminating federal fossil fuel subsidies, generating revenue from the wholesale of energy, scaling back military spending on maintaining global oil, ind- global oil dependence, uh, collecting new income tax revenue from the 20 million new jobs created by the plan, reduce, reducing the need for federal and safety net spending due to the creation of millions of good-paying unionized jobs, and making the wealthy and large corporations pay their fair share. The editorial board of the Washington Post, however, believes that Bernie's climate plan is silly. They argue that it is absurd to spend $2 trillion building wind, solar, and geothermal, $2 trillion on buying people electric cars, and $607 billion on high-speed rail, which they call a, quote, proven boondoggle. They argue that the 20 million jobs is absurd as well, since only 6 million people are unemployed in America and don't have the skills required for those jobs, and that it is stupid to rule out nuclear power, as Bernie has done. They conclude that such massive central planning cannot address the climate problem, since uh, since a general authority cannot possibly know what to do, and that investing in scientific research while imposing a carbon tax is the only sensible plan. Yeah, the the Washington Post is. Uh, I think there's a consistent, you know, as, despite all of their incredible uh, work on on covering Trump, remain a bit of a legacy paper, and not does not surprise me that they just want uh, a present carbon, which uh, you know might have been a good strategy twenty years ago. But anyways, I, I don't think you need to hedge on that stuff. They're extremely <laughs> establishment. <laughs> yes. They're extremely establishment, and in this case, that means protecting billionaires, which are the people who are trying to lie to us to make sure they don't lose any money. So yes. no, they're just the bad guys. You don't need to hedge that one. All right, all right. Um, I also will one before throwing to Lauren uh, one minor 
uh, critique of of the way uh, that Bernie positions this. Reaffirm U.S. climate leadership does sort of imply the U.S. was ever a climate leader, uh, which I would definitely have a bone to pick on that one. But that's obviously a sort of silly note in the larger conversation. Uh, so, Lauren, to you. Yeah, like not to dogpile on like the WAPO or anything, but like they can suck it. Newspapers <laughs> are dying industry anyway. I'm kidding. Um, reading newspapers is important. We should all do it more. Yes. Um, but yeah, honestly, of course, like, yes, every plan has its flaws. Every plate, like we, we can always grow into more, but like this Green New Deal plan that Bernie has put forward is like the bright, beautiful, shining tomorrow that, that so many of us have been screaming for for so long. Um, there's really, really exciting stuff here. It's super exhaustive. I, I think to me, one of sort of like the standout, or one of one of the easiest things I can point to is that Jay Inslee, who up until now had been like the climate contender, he'd been like leading the pack um, before he dropped out, RIP Jay Inslee. Um, he, his plan um, had proposed, I think, I think job creation, something to the tune of 8 million. He, he said he was going to create something like 8 million jobs. You look at Elizabeth Warren's plan, she estimates it'll create approximately 1 million new jobs. Bernie's plan says he's going to create 20 million new jobs. And obviously that's a really, really tall order to fill. But the fact that that's the ambition he's putting forward is to me really, really important and, and inspiring going into the next, like however many years before this election actually takes place. I I think it's just the one, but um, one of the other things that I really, really dug about Bernie's plan is um, kind of buried farther down in the bottom, but it specifically states that in executing this plan, um, they promise that they'll follow the principles of environmental justice as adapted at the first National Peoples of Color Environmental Summit. Um, these principles are also known, I, 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 I don't know if it's pronounced HEMES or GEMES, it, it starts with a J, um, principles for democratic organizing, um, and it's just six principles. It's the first is be inclusive, emphasize bottom-up organizing, let people speak for themselves, work together in solidarity and mutuality, uh, build just relationships among ourselves, and commit to self-transformation. So the fact that, that these are principles and that this is a perspective and point of view that he's centering and making sure is present in his plan as, as sort of exhaustive and all-encompassing as it is, is really, really important um, and, a, and a show of good faith, I think, and something really cool to see from one of the top contenders in the Democratic Party right now. Um, but yeah, all kinds of amazing things we could talk about here. Yeah, I, I think what for me what what it is most about uh, about about you know about this man and, and, and a few others in like you know Jay Inslee is really the kind of the person that if he's saying something good then you're at least getting somewhere. It, but for me, really, all I all I want in life, and this is a bit of an overstatement, but it also <laughs> I think is basically true, is all I want in life is a level of ambition where I feel that I can work with other people to actually try to solve this problem in a in a plan that is aiming to make it possible. And and what and what cannot be said, I think about this plan is that 16.3 trillion dollars would not get the job done. You know, if you effectively use 16.3 trillion dollars uh, and the might of the American government, you could probably get pretty far through the actual response needed to do this. Um, you know, the fact that there's a fair amount of money going to actually help other countries do this work as well is super important. And, and, and you know, we've talked a lot about needing to support leapfrog technologies, and that's exactly the kind of stuff that this would do. And it would it would fundamentally signal, I think, to the markets that this is happening. And I think at that point, you'd start seeing some of the other pieces of 
of the way that we're already seeing tipping points headed towards the fall of the false economy. You know, a a an, an, an election of a person who would put forward a plan and actually they could pass a plan uh, that was even. A, even 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 a fraction of of this ambitious, I think would would probably go far enough to to tip us into um, into 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 a response where you start seeing you know investors really start running away from fossil companies, where you start seeing their their values on stock exchanges collapsing, and you start seeing uh, the you know the insurance companies companies that are already terrified of climate change probably stepping up and supporting this type of work, and and all of the other types of things that you would need to get this whole thing done, and and there's just a level of of niceness around the ambition that exists. Um, because it doesn't feel, it feels like then you could switch from trying to get the work, uh, trying to like, I feel like, you know, here in Canada, we, we remain in the, our main job as activists is trying to get the government to do what we see as enough rather than working with government to get the job done. And, and this, I think, and, and, and some of the other plans that are out there would be enough to get the job done. And so you could actually switch your work to actually doing the things necessary to actually transform the thing. Um, I, I, what's interesting about 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 this plan, I, I, like, is is also the fact that it does even include things like sustainable family farms, because you know agriculture is going to be so huge in this whole scenario as well. Um, and so I don't know. There's there's so many. There's a. It's it's such a huge plan, right? Sixteen point three trillion dollars. That's just unbelievable. How much money that is, and and yet. It it does at least make me feel like it could give the opportunity that I feel like we've all been sort of talking about, which is this idea that we all need to come together and actually work uh, together, um, and and that we need a wartime type effort, and that's and that's what this represents. You know, uh, you know, again, is it is it near? Would it be very very hard to pass? Yes, um, but still, there's a level of ambition that is just nice to experience. I think the. But uh, so we're, we're we're sort of coming to the break. We have a bit more time. Uh, do you have any other thoughts before we sort of head towards uh, head towards a music break? Uh, yeah, I think um, one thing that looking at Bernie and Warren's plans sort of brought me back to bringing this back to the Canadian context because uh, for listeners who listen to the podcast, reminding you that, that we are a Canadian show, um, we don't see this kind of ambition and attack on big oil from any of the Canadian climate plans that we've seen come out in the lead up to our election cycle. Um, specifically looking at Bernie's sort of ban on oil and gas imports and exports, a ban on mountaintop uh, mining and fracking, and a moratorium on public land drilling, which is also something that Warren has. She also has a similar moratorium. That's that's not the kind of ambition and the kind of sort of offensive policy that we're seeing from from any party in Canada, whether it be the Greens or the NDP, or like obviously not the Liberals or the Conservatives. So I, I don't know. Uh, I feel like it's nice to have somebody to look to and to point to when it comes to meaningful ambition and action because we're certainly not getting it from our leadership here. Yeah, and that's been something that I've been I've been consistently uh, frustrated with. I would say is is the fact that you see some of these these plans and these ways people are talking about about things coming from the states and feeling like it was not being you know echoed here, despite the you know the and it will cover as I mentioned earlier in the show we we do have a plan to cover all the all the actual what we have here uh, in October closer to the election uh, but but yeah I, I, I agree it, it's it is and it, it comes I think comes well it comes quite clearly down to the fact that we're we are still such a uh, a petro state in a way that uh, in a way that we are 
in some way beholden to our history and and can't seem to break out of that mindset that we could be something more or different. And and you know we can be something more different. <laughs> this, is, this is all we got. We can be something more. We can be something different. Please let us be something different. Um, but uh, thank you so much, uh, Lauren. If you if you're interested, Lauren, and you can stay on the line, or we will cover Andrew uh, Yang's uh, plan in the next section if you're available. Uh, we'd love to have you. Um, and if not, it's it's been great having you on. Um, and yeah, we'll go with a quick music break, and then we'll come right back. All right, we are back. We're into the home stretch now of the Green Majority Radio program. I'm going to throw you back to Stefan and possibly Lauren. Lauren, you still there? We're not sure. No, I think I. Uh, it's entirely possible that I even just straight up hung up on Lauren. Wow. All right. Well, <laughs> Lauren, if you're still listening, we are sorry to hang up on you. If you intentionally hung up, then it was great to have you. On. You know what? Uh, uh, let me check on that. All right. Let me see what I. Uh, let me see if I can get her back on the line here and uh, carry on. Give me a minute. Okay. Good. Why don't you mention the green pack thing real quick? So. Yes, for sure. Oh uh, yeah, I screwed up. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, I uh, misheard uh, you and I declared victory. Yes. Uh, and, uh, thank you for correcting that, Dave. Just just so that our listeners are aware, uh, Green Pack had to move the debates, and there was not actually, a, a, unfortunately, a movement on on the on the party or on the on the debates uh, that were that. Uh, Is it the CBC? Uh, no, it's the it's the debates commission. It's the uh, whole commission, okay. so it's you can't you can't pin it on any individual uh, thing, which is probably how they do like doing that. They're able to mm. sort of keep pointing out figures other directions, and that's the, the Green Pack had to move their uh, yes. date for the 100 climate debates happening to, across the country to October third. October third, yes. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the leader debate still remains on the seventh, and we still can be mad about how annoying and terrible the uh, the rest of uh, the rest of the debate commission has managed to be on trying to get us a real conversation around climate. Uh, but luckily, we are currently having a real conversation on climate, and so we will move on to Andrew Yang. And we will imagine. The ghost of Lauren Latour. <laughs> she, she unfortunately was only available for 20 minutes. Uh, so Andrew Yang's climate plan, I'm going to read uh, his opening statement, uh, starts by saying, quote, The past four years have been the four hottest on record, and July 2019 was the hottest month ever recorded. Greenland is expected to lose 440 billion tons of ice this year. Uh, tons of ice this year. A rate that was the worst case scenario for 2070. The West is on fire, the middle of the country is flooded, and the Atlantic is seeing hurricanes of increasing frequency and intensity. In Alaska, salmon are dying because of the heat. All the while, the top five U.S. oil and gas companies posted revenues of over $760 billion, and the federal government subsidized the industry to the tune of $26 billion annually. And uh, we will also note, uh, before I get into this, that uh, Yang's uh, plan is considered the bleakest uh, <laughs> of, the, of the politicians because he's not even, even like the Green New Deal people are saying, you know, we can get this done, let's do this. Andrew Yang's like, well, let's, let's just do everything that we possibly can, move our people to high mountains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he supports. Uh, yeah, he stuff. supports literally moving everyone out of Florida. Not mm-hmm. everyone, but a good portion of people out of Florida, mm-hmm. which is you know still probably a good idea. But anyways, so he wants to leave all options on the table mm. and activate America's entrepreneurial spirit. Oh, classic! The end of his thing says, "Let's go, America." <laughs> Let's go, America. He As wants in move to, out of your country, out of Florida. He wants to achieve one hundred percent renewable electricity by twenty thirty five. Uh, net zero emissions for transportation by 2040, and total net zero emissions by 2049. He wants to set a carbon tax of $40 a ton and raise it gradually to $100 a ton. 
impose a fee on countries without carbon taxes, end leases for fossil fuel exploitation on federal lands, spend $4.8 trillion on vague climate stuff over two decades, invest heavily in nuclear fusion and thorium research, Ah, nuclear fusion, the wonderful technology always 30 years away. And invest a little over $100 billion in climate change adaptation, including home relocation, seawalls, absorbent roads, water pumps, sewers, and fire resistance. He also wants to spend $800 million on geoengineering research, proposing tree planting, carbon capture, seeding the oceans with carbon-absorbing plankton, and reflecting sunlight through, spl- through spraying sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere and shooting mirrors into space. Yeah, so there's a... I, I suggested covering this in part because it's sort of, in, you know, it's important to you know to cover a wide range of candidates, but it's also interesting to sort of see what the more fringe candidates are willing to say we should do. Mm. You know, what what do you imagine yourself doing to handle this when you take climate change seriously, but also, you know, don't really have to listen too directly to to anyone beyond your own uh, sort of ideas. Mm-hmm. And and apparently what you get to is some incredibly dangerous suggestions about messing with the Earth's atmosphere. That that is apparently where you end up uh, pretty quickly. Uh, I got I got to commend his uh, his honesty about the need to move uh, people out of Florida. You got to give some you got to give him some credit for that. Um, you know, there's that's uh, honestly a relatively likely scenario, especially as more and more places refuse to insure it, and then the insurance gets ba- insurance gets backed by the federal government, and the federal government can no longer afford to pay that. So like, there's a pretty consistent uh, angle down there. But the the one thing that was highlighted uh, the, the, the sort of highlighted that I want to highlight here most specifically is that the way he sort of combines all his geoengineering proposals is a somewhat dangerous way to sort of make all of them seem like they're the same level of 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 mm. concern. You know, like one of them is afforestation, planting more trees. Definitely good idea. We should all plant more trees. A hundred percent. Uh, the second one is car- another one is cap- carbon capture, uh, which is while you might argue uh, sort of too little, too late in this scenario, certainly could play a role within the within the entire set of suite of responses uh, within the conversation. You know, there, there's a version of the world where that is not totally unreasonable. Sure, if you if you roll that out uh, with a like carbon sequestration plan, and that's part of the new technology. For instance, if we had fuel standards that included some degree of uh, not not literally for fuel, but like it could be part of this part of a system that addresses that for sure. Yeah, well, and, there, and you know, there's examples right now of ways you've man- people have managed to use captured carbon in interesting ways. You know, there's a concrete company I believe out of Alberta right now that is working on pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and using that to create concrete, which is super useful because concrete itself is already pretty bad. So the combination of those two things is really useful. Pretty sure they started in the East Coast. East Coast. All right, there you go. Um, but uh, but so there's ways that carbon capture exists and reasonable. Uh, then there's ocean seeding, uh, which is the idea of the increasing population uh, of carbon-absorbing plankton, which I don't know enough to comment comment about, but just beginning to mess with ocean. At, the, the oceans are already, are already a bit of a mess. So look, I'm not going to leave that on beside because the last two, are just so dangerous that I can't not mention. <laughs> the last two are space mirrors, which yeah, which is probably the one to get all the attention because space mirrors just seem so 
ludicrous. It, well, you're already going to be able to install them easily because by then we'll have a space force. Right, exactly. Yes, the space army will install the space, space force. Mirrors. Will no, excuse me, it's called the space force. Sorry, now, don't get Sorry. the title wrong. It's not right. the space army, space force. Okay. Uh, and they're just they'll just build it while they're up there. Right, right. <laughs> well, what else are they doing beyond defending, patrolling your... the stellar border <laughs> yes. and building the space force? Yeah, uh, building the space mirrors. Right, exactly. Um, so for like, I'm not going to get too deep into the space mirrors thing. Um, you know, would it reflect light? Yes. Um, am I largely concerned by the idea that you would have to then have tons of mirrors flying around Earth at such a speed that perhaps, you know, that might mess up satellites or the attempt to leave Earth ever again? Uh, it would just add to more space junk that exists. Um, he either never roasted ants with a magnifying glass with a ch- as a child or enjoyed it too much. <laughs> uh, yes, the idea that it flips around and gets asses would be, would be quite, a, quite, a, quite a twist. But, like, th- like it's not... I, you know, if we're getting to space mirrors, uh, then I think we're probably then. Then, I th- then the rest of this plan actually maybe makes more sense. Then, yeah, everyone move to Yosemite and be as high as possible uh, uh, and, and avoid all the rising floods. Just go do that. Uh, but the one that I want to just really get to because it is the one that I'm actually most concerned about, to be perfectly honest, because it's to me the one that is both sort of it's it's within the range of what i imagine people being dumb enough to try and it's the hardest to prevent anyone from doing uh which is injecting sulfur dioxide into the stratosphere uh to reflect sunlight away this is what's um released from uh volcanoes correct yes it's it's volcanoes it is aerosols so all aerosols also release uh release this uh it it does do does damages the atmosphere in many other ways um but it does provide a cooling effect if you pump up sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere it would cool the earth that is a true thing that we that we know um what we don't know is uh, or don't know very well is what happens when you inject enough of it to really cause the, the the what we actually would need here um and and what we in the little bits of that we know about what that likely would happen is has been shown from from previous examples you can sort of the way you can sort of understand what what might happen is by looking at examples of uh former very large volcanic eruptions and sort of what happened after them in the years following and and the and the general trend from what we can tell and again it's we don't, we have so little data that it, this is absolutely a very dangerous way to, to 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 imagine things but the data we have seems to imply that whichever hemisphere injects the sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere uh ends up receiving it, it messes with water patterns it messes with the with with everything and it seems to imply that the the hemisphere that ejects the sulfur is the one that gets most of the water in the coming 20 years during the cooling effect sulfur dioxide i think lasts in the atmosphere about 20 years and and so if you're in the northern hemisphere and you inject sulfur, then you will end up with more of the water and the southern hemisphere will experience drought and vice versa. At least this is the, this is the, the again, the preliminary data that seems to imply that that would happen, but super, super early data. And we don't have enough information to actually know for sure, which to me really creates a terrible incentive structure. Because if I'm in the southern hemisphere and I start and I just, and and I start seeing the northern hemisphere pumping sulfur in the atmosphere, my my instinct would be like, well, and we have to do the same thing to balance this out, and and then you end up with a world where you now where there's absolutely no regulation, no way to stop a country from doing this. You want to find the most extreme example of too many cooks in the kitchen that could possibly be imagined. Yeah, that's yeah. Everyone trying to everyone trying to tamper with it with with a, with an atmosphere that we don't really understand. And it's the most tricky souffle that has ever been made. <laughs> 
And so, and so the idea, so, so this to me is the one uh, that is the most dangerous because if I was America, like in the version where America takes this on as a real strategy, I expect to see China doing the same thing um, and expect that uh, that we we truly at that point will not know what we have done to the atmosphere or what to expect because we also won't have solved the problem. We'll experience twenty minutes or twenty years approximately of of artificial cooling, and if you keep pumping it out, more artificial cooling as you go on. But the oceans will remain more acidifying, and everything else will still be going down. And so this is like it's truly, truly a dangerous suggestion, and we must do everything we can to avoid it. Potentially, uh, let me underline it this way: potentially worse than not doing it. Oh yeah, unquestionably. right. Like it could, like if the if our option was accept the new climate reality or start putting sulfur dioxide in the atmosphere, I'm going to argue for just adapting. Yeah, yeah. Frankly. There, it's certainly... Honestly. Yeah, it's... it's, it's, it's <laughs> and it, we've been coming in here as volunteers for 13 years now yeah. because we're so concerned about climate change, and I would still rather let it happen than start doing that. Yeah, it, it's incredibly dangerous. Uh, but we are out of time. Uh, thank you so much uh, for, for allowing the tour to be on the show. Uh, Dave Hostetter, Seven Hostetter, Saren Kaster, we'll see you all uh, next week, and have a wonderful green week, everyone. See you all real soon. <laughs>